Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Shared Ireland podcast. Hope you're all keeping well. Today I'm delighted to be joined by a first time guest on our podcast. Um, however, her leader was one of our very first interviews we had um, two or three years ago. So um, welcome to the Shared Ireland podcast, Saoirse Eastwick from the Alliance Party. How are you keeping? Hello, I'm very good. Uh, it's really lovely to be here chatting with you. Thank you very much. And um, I know it's um, coming up to that busy time. Um, I see you've got your trainer on. That's because <laughs> you're no doubt um, tramping around streets and housing estates, knocking doors, um, coming up to the election. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I'm for after this. And as you can see, my phone's been going crazy with everything else. So yeah, no, that's that's me from now to from now to May. Absolutely. On, on in. This is this is it now. Very good. Sarsha, we always begin, uh, just in case anyone isn't maybe aware of who you are, could you tell our listeners a little bit about who Sarsha Eastwood is, maybe a little bit about your early years, your background, and I suppose what ultimately shaped the person that you are today? Okay. Um, That's an easy question. Yeah, just, just a few easy ones for, for, for the start. Um, okay, so my name is Sarsha Eastwood. Um, I am a member of the Alliance Party. Um, I'm from Lisburn, that's where we are at the minute. Um, I am currently the Alliance Assembly candidate for Lagan Valley, mm-hmm. um, and I was elected to Lisburn Castlereagh Council in 2019. I first joined the party in 2011, mm-hmm. um, so I've been in it for, what is that, 10, 11 years? Yeah. Long, long time anyway. Um, and I have always been so interested in politics. Um, from about yay high. Um, it's just been a fascination of mine. I have absolutely no idea why. Nobody in my family is political. Mm-hmm. Um, that's never been a thing. We've you're, always been you're a sucker for punishment. I know what's wrong with me. <laughs> um, we've, we've never been political insofar as nobody's ever been in a party. Mm-hmm. But we have always been one of those houses where it's very much you spend your time in the kitchen. Uh-huh. You know, you're living your life in the kitchen and you're having the crack and you're, you know, throwing arguments back and forth. So in that respect, it was always very political, uh-huh. um, where, you know, people were putting across different points of view and all that sort of thing. Um, my early years are probably quite significant in terms of my own political journey mm-hmm. and maybe of where I am today a mm-hmm. wee bit. Um, so born in Lisburn, as I say, two big clans. So my dad is Eastwood, my mom is McKeown. Um, so most people in Lisburn would know either the McKeowns on one side or the Eastwoods on the other. Um, and in a way, it's actually quite nice to have people knowing your, your family. I know that might sound a wee bit strange, but to me, I think that's really important. And community and locality is, is really important to me. Um, we have a wee family farm out at Blaris, um, okay. near the maze. And that was where I spent most of my early life mm-hmm. um, and indeed a lot of my life. Um, and also not too far away from where we're sitting now, um, my granny's old house, um, just at the uh, Causeway and Road, Bandary Road, and there in Lisburn. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this is just who I am as a person. Um, I'm very much of this community, of the town. Um, and I think for me, always haven't had an interest in politics, but not really knowing where to go. Okay. Um, and I think that's because... I had a very kind of mixed upbringing in a way. Um, I hate that phrase. It's really contrived, isn't it? But I don't really know what other way to say it. It's a good enough way to describe <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, where my family was made up of lots of different people. 
um, lots of different views. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually a, a, a wee international sort of tinge to it as well, um, because we had family in South Africa. Okay. Um, we had relatives there. Um, we had people who were going traveling all around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a way, I was really privileged to have that kind of experience growing up at the farm mm-hmm. um, away from a lot of the chaos that was kind of happening around us and when you say farm and you spent quite a bit of your time there were you actively involved like did you roll up the sleeves and put the wellies up <laughs> there's a picture of me there's there's a picture of me in 1997 that's when i started first year in st dominic's and i am out bailing doing, doing bales <laughs> so to lift to lift a country girl from there doing bales and then put her onto the falls road it was it was crazy. Mm-hmm. It was a big change for me. If you mentioned bales of hay and falls road, they would look at you. What's up? They did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they gave me stuck. All right. Um, but yeah, I, I think that was really important to me, and it gave me a lot of time and space to mm-hmm. um, be myself, I suppose. Um, and I, I think that kind of melting pot of ideas, where you know people were never afraid to test me in terms of what I was saying in my political views or I was never afraid to test anybody in their political mm-hmm. views, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and I think that period of the 90s would, would have the ceasefires in 1994. Um, we then had the, the forum elections in 1996, which I remember because I'm a nerd. Um, and I, I remember that very, very clearly. Um, and then obviously the whole build up to the Good Friday Agreement and all of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Why the Alliance Party? So I have spent a lot of my life feeling very kind of politically homeless because Mm -hmm. I wasn't a nationalist or unionist. And in some ways, you know, obviously coming from Lisburn, I had a lot of friends from different backgrounds and a lot of them would have been unionist. Mm -hmm. Some of them would have been nationalist. Um, And then going to school on the Falls Road, Mm -hmm. um, you would have been at school with a lot of girls who would have had very Republican views or Mm -hmm. very nationalist views. Um, views like myself as well um, and you kind of go where where am I in all of this yeah you know what 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 is is there something wrong with me that's that's genuinely how I felt whenever I was very very young yeah. um, I did and I have a real strong memory of being at school and you know it was still you know the the, the early mid to late 90s um and people making fun of me and saying you know your culture and why you're here and you know are you a protestant um because you're from lisburn and then on the way home you'd be getting off the bus and you'd be completely soaked and covered in spit um and being called you know tag or whatever else and other sectarian slurs just remind me what year is this again 1997 okay so pre pre good friday um very much all that still going on um and i just thought right okay so i don't fit in here i don't fit in there um i don't see myself people seem to be attacking you because it's not because you were extreme in one side or the other because why because you hadn't got an opinion is that what they thought yeah i think maybe and i can only surmise because i don't know because i didn't ask them but um some of it was just you know fairly straightforward sectarian abuse um, I think others were going, but we don't understand who you are. What do you stand for? Like, what what, what do you mean? Where, where are you in all this? And maybe it was because I didn't have all my views fully formed at that time. And I was still very much trying to take it in. Mm. Um, 
And because I grew up in a scenario where I didn't live in a place where um, it was predominantly, you know, perceived to be one community or the other, um, I had quite an integrated, if you want to use that word, don't know yeah. if that's the right word, but, um, you know, there were people with all sorts of views um, in our community. Um, and I think because I'd had that sort of exposure to their life and how they had lived yeah. and then other people, how they'd lived their life. Mm-hmm. Um, I was letting that all kind of percolate yeah. in my mind. Yeah. Um, and obviously I'm going to say this, aren't I? But I do like to be a compassionate person and I do like to try and put myself in other people's shoes. Vitally important. Um, and you know, I don't always get it right. Of course. But, you know, I'll try. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll certainly fee whatever it is they're trying to tell me um and i think there was maybe an element of that going on where you know i'd had people from different backgrounds polar opposite backgrounds Mm -hmm. that i would have run about with um and i just wanted to see them as friends and i just wanted to see them as people just want to listen till you speak there sorcia and give the example of people you know disgracefully abusing you Mm -hmm. uh, physically and obviously that had an impact i'm sure on your mental health as well <clears throat> but um, they seem to be doing it because you know they maybe didn't understand you. You, you know, you, you were in between. Who are you and stuff like this? Could that same accusation still not be made of the party that you're a member of nowadays? Because the alliance jokingly always gets this tagline. You know, why are you sitting on the fence? And that can be predominantly about the constitutional question. And We'll get into this as we go along here, but just because it's kind of relevant now, um, do you understand why people would that, why people would level that at you or your party? The the fence sitting thing is is a tale as old as time now, isn't <laughs> yeah. it really? Yeah. Um, but I think to be fair, in the last few years, you know, people are seeing that we have clear stances. So I think one of the things that really was quite key. Um, and this is just my perception. Of course. Um, I think one of the things that was quite key was our position in Brexit. So, Certainly. you know, a lot of people really, you know, they'd obviously known who we were as a party before that and they mm-hmm. knew, you know, or they, at least they thought maybe they knew what we stood for but weren't entirely sure or whatever. Um, and I think that Brexit piece really brought on a lot of people to the party who maybe weren't supportive before or just didn't know or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was one of those key moments in our history and our future as we go forward together. I think personally for me, what I want out of a political party is to know that they're for everybody um, and mm-hmm. to know that they want to put people first. But you also want to know what they stand for. Well, that's it. And I mean, I, I think for us as a party, the stances we've taken on social policy mm-hmm. um, long before others um you know is key and i think people in this day and age want to make sure that they have their rights protected mm-hmm. um you know whether that's asylum seekers whether that's people who have been you know historically denied rights here mm-hmm. um whether that's people who um are coming from the lgbt community from the disabled community and i think a lot of the time a lot of the work that i end up doing now is with marginalized groups mm-hmm. or people who actually don't have access to public services and a lot of that is coming from people within uh, disability groups mm-hmm. um and it's shocking to me the level of denial of public services that they have and yet that doesn't ever really seem to be part of the conversation mm-hmm. um and for me that's really important so i think here whenever people talk about a stance they mean maybe just on one particular issue 
I think for the rest of the issues, obviously I'm going to say this, but I think for the rest of the issues in terms of economy, finance, health, social policy, you know, climate, all of that important stuff mm -hmm. um, that I would regard as important to everybody, regardless of, of their view, um, we're very clear about that. Yeah. But I think, you know, you've, you've got to take people with you. Mm -hmm. You've got to take people with you. And I think that's something that we have been working on. And I think certainly since before Naomi became leader and now um, with her, her leadership, um, you know, firmly established, mm -hmm. um, I think she's probably one of our most able communicators in politics in this century. No doubt. Um, and I think that that piece of work of bringing people with you through communication, mm -hmm. through dialogue, mm -hmm. um, and just being accessible to people is, is really important. And I think they're getting to know who we are as a party, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Okay, no problem. Tell me this first, what's your first memory of things in the North, Northern Ireland, call it what you want, not being quite like other places, that sense of divide? I have been thinking about this one and it's a really strange one. Um, I think for me, probably the some of the first things that I remember are seeing graffiti on a wall of a house and it said TAG and I didn't know what it was and I remember asking my dad and he sort of tried to make an excuse and whenever we were in primary school we used to get bricks thrown into the playground and they'd have to close off the playground we couldn't go in it then um, and I think those probably early experiences of sectarianism um, were when you realise that you're just a child aren't you you know and you don't know any better you play with your friends you know you watch the same shows all that sort of stuff but whenever you have people yelling at you calling you you know tag Fenian, whatever um and you see your parents scared as well it's not just you and you know you see adults scared i think that's probably one of those moments where you go mm, something's not right here mm -hmm. um obviously the early 90s was still a period where there was a lot of violence sadly going on um, and you know my own community is no exception in that um, and I do remember real palpable fear in and around that time growing up um, and you know your, your, your family gets scared for you. you you can feel as a child you don't know maybe what it is but you certainly feel yeah. um, and there could be a presence if there's been a, a shooting or a bombing or whatever um, and then whenever your family have to move away some of my family were intimidated away from here um, and they had to leave what year um, was that? 1994. Okay. Um, and do you mind me asking the nature of that event? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, this is just my sort of take on it um, in terms of how, how to term it, but it was, it was just sectarian intimidation. You know, it was sectarian intimidation and, and that's what it was. By who or whom? Well, obviously that would be coming from people who, who didn't want them there. So, you know... I can't ever say hand on heart who, who that is. What, but I mean, was it a Republican organisation or was it a loyalist organisation? I would imagine it would have been from a loyalist organisation. Okay. Um, I have absolutely no reason to think anything other than that. So you physically, your family had to leave the area or you felt that you had to leave the area? Some some of my relatives, yes. And how did. long did they stay away for? And are, oh, they're still, they're, they're, they're still, still away. away. Like that was, that was it then, yeah. Yeah, and it's... It's sad because, you know, even talking about it now, you, you do feel like, you know, God did 
did that actually happen? Did we mm. have to do it? Because that's know, not that long ago, right? No, it's not. And it sounds really silly, but one of the saddest things for me was my granny, who loved her garden. Um, she was from Roscommon. And she had like a wee, you know, those wee like angle things that you put in the ground and it's like a hook, but it's got a big arm that goes out and it's like a yes, pot yes. over a fire mm-hmm. or whatever. A crook. A crook. That's what it is. Um, <laughs> and give away me. <laughs> <laughs> a crook. Um, and she, she used to have that out her back garden and, and she loved her garden. And I remember my aunties on my mummy's side coming to the garden to transplant all her flowers to the farm. Getting a wee bit emotional here. Uh, no, but but I, I I can see that in you, and it's understandable. Poor granny yeah. had uh, up sticks. Oh, broke my heart. Broke my heart, and I broke her heart as well. Um, sorry, actually, I'm a wee bit emotional about that because I never talk about that. You just are told to, to get on with it, aren't you? Mm. And you know, make yourself small and not yeah. take up space. And it's it's difficult because you know you don't want to portray yourself as you know weak or anything like that and of course it takes incredible strength to go through it so who on earth would, would think you're weak but mm. there is a real stigma in certain parts of northern ireland still attached to people actually speaking i think about oh. their lived experience mm-hmm. of sectarianism or racism yeah. or whatever it may be yeah um and i don't think that's anything i should be ashamed of no um i don't think it's anything that anyone who has ever experienced that should be ashamed of mm-hmm. um and I think in some ways people would rather that I didn't speak about it um, or, you know, play it down. But that was my life. That was my reality. That's that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember at that time, my mum and dad, there was a lot of domestic violence at home. Um, my dad was just not a well man in any shape or form. Um, and unfortunately, we all just bore the, the brunt of that. And I remember whenever we eventually were able to get him out of the house. Um, I was just so sad because, of course, I couldn't see my granny then, you know, and that was my my granny was my dad's mum, so I was very, very close to her. Um, And it's only recently in the last few years that I thought to myself, you know, I just wonder how different things would have been if my granny had have still been here because I would have been able to see her more. I would have been able to have more time with her. But obviously, because they had to go, you don't have that family infrastructure around you. And if you're, say, maybe a young woman with a family, young family trying to rear them, and maybe your family have had to move out in the past because of sectarianism or whatever, just imagine how you're going through the trauma of that. But then you've also got the very practical day-to-day family practicalities mm-hmm. about childcare and about all that. Now, we were lucky in that we had my other granny out at the farm um for for childcare and stuff like that but it's it's all those wee things that mm. you know that was only such a very very small thing in comparison to what people have gone through in this country yeah but listen nobody has a monopoly on suffering like it's unique to us all and you know what maybe affects me you would not laugh at it but you yeah. would think come on cop yourself on and vice versa so yeah no no and listen um i really appreciate the level of candor and your open and honest um about your childhood, including your father and whatnot there. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there's that's just the way you have to be. You yeah. know, that's 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 what it is. And, you know, that domestic violence piece, I think, was one of the big things that got me interested in politics and the law. Um, I always wanted to be a lawyer or a barrister from an early age. My aunt was involved at contracts um, law at Schwartz Bombardier. 
um, and I really admired her as a as a woman, mm-hmm. um, as a woman in business, as a woman in law, and all that sort of stuff. And I remember whenever the the whole thing was going on at home, wanting to write letters to the court, um, because I wanted them back back in the day. And this is obviously all out of date now, but back in the day there was very much a an approach taken that you had to see the other parent. You know, it was very much frowned upon. You know, if you wanted to to stay away or you didn't feel safe or whatever, mm-hmm. and I did not want to have anything to do with my dad, which obviously makes no surprise considering the violence and everything else we've been through. Um, but I remember asking my mum whenever she was having to go to court. You know, what about me? Like I witnessed these things, so so can I not? You know, give give my view. Yeah. And I remember writing a letter, and they were like, "No, word, that's just you. No, that's." Lovely. Thank you very much, but we're not going to take this into any sort of consideration. And the strange thing is that experience, small as it may be, is now something that we've actually been able to change in law through um, Naomi and through our bill, where children now have a voice. Um, it seems so obvious. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Like complete, you know, no, no brainer. Um, but in those domestic violence scenarios, if you're the child that's in it, mm-hmm. um, you do feel disenfranchised and you do feel like, you know, you're almost thinking, did that happen at all? Yeah. And then whenever the system compounds that further yes. by kind of denying your voice on it and your experience exactly. of it. Um, so that those are the sorts of things that are important to me. And maybe that's strange for, a, a, you know, a rep in Northern Ireland because you don't really get a lot of people talking about those things, but I do try to talk about it because, you know, we want to get it out there that, mm. you know, you don't have to, to live with it and you can do things to change it. Um, It's probably the public would see it strange for a rep, mm-hmm. as you call it, to be this honest, open and, you know, frank about their own lived experience. But I have always found... Uh, I suppose conducting nearly 70 or 80 of these podcasts mm-hmm. when you speak to reps you know one to one they're the same as as me they're the same as everyone listening to this yeah and I suppose there's this perception just you know that when you see them on tv or radio or writing a column or on social media understandably they always have to be defending and promoting their, their themselves and their party so you don't often get to see the real person yeah but i, I must give your party leader naomi uh, and also doug Beatty. i must give him a lot of credit and all our people from all our parties as well of course that particularly in social media where naomi is accessible mm-hmm. she replies to people mm-hmm. and i'm talking about why, why shouldn't you she yeah. might be saying but like a lot of people obviously don't have the time but she seems to always make time mm-hmm. you know just to anybody and everybody you know just because you've got one follower or a hundred thousand followers it doesn't matter, matter seem to matter to her and it's something that i always admired about any politician that can and is willing to be in touch with the people that ultimately let's face it put them into power yeah yeah well i think i mean twitter is is you know out there facebook's out there for me what i find and i've sort of learned this as i've gone along what i find is important are the people on the ground here in the community Mm. um and a lot of them don't have twitter a lot of them don't have any sort of those platforms um they're not really interested in it i think for me lucky them well i know and i think for me there's there's a real bubble 
in Northern Ireland politics where, you know, people think that Twitter's real life and they think that it's very much, you know, representative of everything and, you know, I mean, for goodness sake, you know, if, if Twitter were realistic of the real, real world here, you know, how, how different would it look? Um, but I, I think you've always got to remember, yeah, the people that vote for you, the people that put you there, um, and even the people that don't vote for you as well. Yeah. I mean, I would do an awful lot of work for people that I would say are maybe never going to vote for me, yeah. um, given what they've told me. But you know what? That's that's why you're there. They're coming to you because they, they know that you can get the job yeah. done for them. And you, you represent know. all people. Absolutely. Not just the people that voted for you. Absolutely. Of in your constituency. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's what you've got to do. And... You know, I think the thing is, for me, you know, I'm relying on the support of people right across the community. Um, and I think that's a really special thing. Um, and it's a difficult thing sometimes to, to, to do because you're you're often trying to empathise with people from right across, um, you know, society here. Um, and that's no mean feat. Um, it may sound very simple and easy to do and of course I mean obviously there's shared humanity and there's shared interests and there's obviously all those you know day-to-day things but I think excuse me whenever you're trying to be there for everybody certainly it's something I've never struggled with but I can see others maybe seeing you know why are you there and why are you now here and why are you standing with them if you've called out xyz and you know it's it's one of those issues that I understand that some people aren't ready for that um, and they're maybe on their own journey and it's our job and our task as a party to take them with us um, and to show leadership on that, which which we're, do- which we're doing. Um, but I think for me, the important thing is never losing your ground, you know, never losing your, your kind of touch of, of where you are mm-hmm. um, and I'm very much, I mean you saw me out bantering there with the two guys at the shop mm-hmm. um, you know I, I think being accessible online is important but for me being accessible in the community is is even more important yeah. um, and I think you know when you're you're going through this it's, it's hard, it can be tough and I think if you know the people in, in your community um, and they see how hard you're working and they see that you genuinely have their back um you know that that's that's very special and it's important. Sersha, in recent years, the alliance have risen significantly in the polls. The alliance surge. Two questions here. Number one, can this continue? Obviously, you're going to say yes. But and B, do you see Doug Beatty's UUP providing a difficult challenge to the alliance, who have perhaps picked up a lot of unionist voters' disillusion with the DUP? Well, I think, you know, the, the surge, the first time it came, it was written off. And then whenever we, we saw it again in the European elections, and then whenever we saw it again in the general election, um, it was it was pretty much solidified. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we don't take anything for granted. We work for every single vote. Um, we, we have to, you know, rely on people coming out from all right across um, the community. Um, and this time, we're very much, you know, prepared this is probably the only scheduled election that we're we're fighting the rest of them have all been snap or on the hoof or whatever mm-hmm. you know so we've had a lot of time to, to build up to this one um and from what i'm hearing on the ground the surge is very much intact um in terms of the austrian unionists or the sdlp or Sinn Féin or dup or whoever it may be um you know we we plow our own furrow 
you know, we, we don't make our electoral strategy based on, you know, the success or failure of others. Mm-hmm. Um, we stand on our own two feet. We, we do our own thing. We're very confident in that. Um, obviously, it's in no one's interests to have people that are, you know, in political difficulty because all people need good leadership and representation. Um, and I think we're very much confident going into this. Um, I think there are some people that will obviously maybe gravitate towards other parties. Um, maybe they won't. Um, maybe they were thinking of doing so and then have maybe changed their stance on that. But I think with Alliance, what you see is what you get. You said um, at the start of this conversation, Sarsha, that the Alliance party came out clearly about the Brexit mm-hmm. situation and you found a surge mm-hmm. from that. So I suppose my, my question for you is this is, if you found a surge because you came out very clear and told everyone how you feel about Brexit, and, and, and you got a positive surge for that. Could the same not be done if someone asked you, what's your position on the constitutional question? Well, I think at the minute, you know, there's there's a lot of, um, I mean, you've mentioned Twitter there, there's a lot of conversation going on on social media. Um, there are people getting themselves organised into the various groups and, and groupings to, to have those conversations and yeah. those, um, you know, shared spaces or, or safe spaces. And I think that's really important. Um, you know, I think people have the right to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for a lot of others, they're just trying to live and get by mm-hmm. and, and take it in. Um, I think probably, and this isn't even a political observation, this is more probably of a practical observation. I think obviously since Brexit has come on the table, um, you know, even just in its form, I remember it being talked about a long, long time before it was even on a ballot paper. Um, and it was very clear then that a lot of people were very touchy and unsure about that actually even being a referendum. Mm-hmm. And we can obviously all now see why. And I think in a way, what is profound for me is that in some ways, people having different conversations about the future who maybe never would have had them. Yeah. Um, it really has been, I think anyway, in my own opinion, um, as a result of Brexit, and as a result of, you know, a real profound change, not just within this mm-hmm. island, but across these islands. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're seeing a lot of that mirrored in the likes of Scotland. I think you're seeing people maybe even in different parts of GB yeah. um, in England querying, you know, how they're represented. So I think in a way what's interesting for me is that it's not even a conversation about Northern Ireland per se. It's a conversation about these islands as a whole mm-hmm. um and I, I don't even mean that in a disingenuous way i find it fascinating to watch um i'm gonna struggle now to remember the name of this um but do you remember that um was it the west Lothian question um where it was talking about devolution um i think it was a scottish mp um some hopefully somebody is shouting and correct me at this you're point you're not going to me to help you out here um, and i apologize I it's been a long time <laughs> since i've studied anything academic let alone academic politics but it was basically a question i think in the 80s or 90s about you know how do people get represented within the uk mm-hmm. um and it really then you know spurred on a whole pile of different conversations and offshoots yes. off the back of that uh-huh. um and i think what's become apparent over the covid crisis is that people want 
I don't want to say local, but people want their own reps in their own area mm-hmm. um, to make their own decisions for them. So, yeah. you know, Mark Drakeford is doing something different at times to, you know, Boris Johnson, mm-hmm. even if you look at Andy Burnham, mm-hmm. who has really, you know, to, to use a bit of a vernacular, played a blinder mm-hmm. um, with some of his own, you know, um, citizens up there in the, in the north. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... That's really important. And I think probably what we're seeing now in Northern Ireland is, yes, the outworkings of, of Brexit mm-hmm. um, and how people are querying that and how people are querying, well, what is Northern Ireland's relationship with the South? Um, not in a political sense, mm-hmm. but in terms of practically in mm-hmm. terms of, you know, one of the things that I find people asking a lot of questions about was about the EHIC mm-hmm. a few years ago. Absolutely. Um, and people were saying, I mean, obviously this isn't a border constituency, but people were saying, how do we use this abroad? What what do we do? I've maybe lived here, but I've been living in Spain for X amount of years. Mm-hmm. Can I access this or do I have to come home? Or yeah, practically whatever. every day. So I think people are having conversations where they're openly talking about All-Ireland cooperation on you know many levels, whether it be economic. Yeah, even COVID. Even COVID, whether it be environmental, mm-hmm. because you can't, no matter where you draw a line on a map, you know, a river's going to do its own thing. Mm-hmm. You know, air quality doesn't stop, no. you know, on one side of a map. And to be honest with you, I think that sort of conversation is to be welcomed. Mm-hmm. I think it's just the practical realities mm-hmm. of where we are. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even if you, you, you talked about, you know, health and stuff like that, even if you look at the likes of the cancer centre in Derry, mm-hmm. um, or if you look at children's heart services in Dublin, absolutely. you know, and it doesn't matter where you are in Northern Ireland, people will have to be accessing those, yeah. those services no matter where you are. So I think there have been some that have sought over the years is their political position to stifle mm-hmm. maybe that conversation i don't think that is in anyone's interests and whenever i say stifle the conversation i mean stifle the conversation in terms of all island um cooperation uh-huh. and, and partnership mm-hmm. and even if you look today the likes of the nsmc boycott by the dup mm-hmm. you know that's an example of where i mean i who would even know what that was about? Obviously, there's a political argument they're making, somewhere. but <laughs> somewhere. But you know, to the to the vast majority of the public, it's not immediately obvious mm. um, what the benefit to be had there is. Yeah. Um. I think people of a younger generation mm-hmm. are coming at it from a completely different place again. I agree. Where they're looking at climate, mm-hmm. they're looking at housing, um, they're looking at you know affordability. Affordability. Yeah. Will I ever be? I mean, there's an argument to be had as well about do you always have to own a property? That's of another course, argument that's for another day. Yeah. Um, that's my socialist stepdad getting in there. But um, I think, you know, they're coming at it more from how will my life, if I choose to stay in Belfast, mm-hmm. be improved if I'm in Dublin or if I'm in London or if I'm in Brussels or wherever. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're taking a much more broad brush view. And I think, to be fair, Alliance have always been a party where we've been very much on the European, mm-hmm. if not international, stage. Um, and I think for a lot of our, I don't want to say voter base, because we we just you know have a, a big base from everywhere, but certainly from people within our, our party membership. I'm to say you don't know who your voter base is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's coming from anyone and everywhere. Um but I think for, for a lot of our membership anyway, um, they have always been internationalists. Mm. They've always seen 
you know, a, a bigger view of the world than just Northern Ireland. Yeah. You know, and I think if you look at some of the, the work of our elected reps in terms of asylum seekers, in terms of climate change in the global south and that whole conversation, mm-hmm. um, you know, or other conflicts in the world where, you know, people have maybe tried to, to give a bit of an input or their learned experience or mm-hmm. whatever, they've never tended in towards a very insular um, or dare I say parochial view. Mm-hmm. And I think what Brexit did psychologically to a lot of people was pull that away from them. Mm-hmm. And they didn't want to be isolated. Yeah. Um, they didn't want to live in splendid isolation that the likes of Boris Johnson or whoever would would want to have um, and, and, you know, pull up the drawbridge and all that. And I think a lot of people are trying to work that mm-hmm. through their minds. Yeah. Um, some people are having conversations, as you said, about, you know, at the start of this question about the constitutional issue. And that's absolutely fair enough. Um, you know, crack on. Um, and the same for people that are having the conversation about um, the union do, and do trying see, to get themselves organised there. for me, Saoirse, having a conversation about the constitutional issue, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it basically, you've described my conversation. Mm-hmm. You put it very well. It's about everyday living reality. How can my life be improved mm-hmm. how can your life be improved mm-hmm. how can my neighbor's life be improved mm-hmm. you know so uh, i'm taking off you know i'm not talking about flags and emblems here yeah. whatsoever i'm genuinely coming at this from a point of view is how can we all collectively benefit from having an open honest frank inclusive constitutional conversation well i mean i think i think for me the the wider constitutional piece is a bit of a hypothetical at this time in so far as being completely honest with you we're in the middle of a cost of living crisis um we are struggling massively with the outworkings of covid um that's not to say that people aren't having those conversations at all um of course they are but there'll never be a right time when will be the perfect time in any of our lives to have any conversation yeah we have to make time for the betterment of our future generations yeah. so that they won't be sitting across the table like you and i discussing potentially our future that we is there not an onus on us now to to remove the stigma for our future generations and kind of pave the way for them where i would see it landing for me at this point in time is a conversation about how do we make this place better first and foremost this place hasn't been northern ireland okay. the north whatever right. people are comfortable calling yeah, it the six counties um <laughs> yeah um you know um for for me, that's that's the big issue, and mm-hmm. I think that's where the priority lies for Alliance. Um, and so far as if you look at what we've been calling for for a long time as a party, we don't even have that. So integrated education, very much something we've always called for from the off. We're only starting to make progress now with Kelly Armstrong's private members bill on integrated education, and it has not been an easy ride, as some may think. It has certainly not been something that we've put out there and took as read that it would get support from That's everybody. personally something that I want to see happen, yeah. integrated education. And like, there's a host of reasons, but one of the main motivators for me is, is that why should we as so-called responsible adults be polarising and putting a stigma on our children at such an early age, at four and five years of age? Surely that's wrong. That's us deliberately setting them up to nearly fail and have this, for want of a better word, sectarian approach to life. You know, on think, that basis alone is wrong. And I, and I think we're, integrated education is just one piece. Mm. But for me, it needs to be taken in the round. So 
what are the chances are you sending your child to a certain school living in a certain area where you maybe have predominantly perceived to be you know a certain part of the community and you're maybe not necessarily interfacing with other people Mm -hmm. that's whenever it then becomes for me something that I don't think is what we want for our future Mm -hmm. you know we want people to be living side by side Mm -hmm. the same way they work side by side and have done for years so for me those are the sorts of things not just for me but for for the party um that are really important and where we're looking to at this point in time tell me this and i know i'm I'm going all over the place here but this just came into my head integrated education right but like what's wrong with integrated housing estates the problem traditionally for me is some idiot then tends to stick up a flag of one denomination or another so then that so-called integrated housing estate the perception of it becomes one side or the other do you you know what what i'm saying i understand what you're saying and this is exactly what i'm getting at so you know if we if that was an easy thing to have you know resolved and i know that's quite a trite word it's probably not the right word but for lack of a better phrase if that was so easy to, to do and to deliver it would have been done by now and it hasn't been and that's where the challenge is for us and that's how do you solve it well that's exactly it and, and that's the reality of my political perception um and what i want to achieve because where i'm sitting now that's definitely not the case mm. you know where we're even physically sitting that's definitely not the case um and yet what i get from people is that they do want i mean you've just said to me you know that's exactly what i want vast majority of people that i speak to that's what they want as well so it kind of begs the question then why are we not there yet mm. you know i think if you look at even if something like designations were as a party you know we don't designate as you know unionist or nationalist mm-hmm. um and in certain situations that actually counts against us and our vote isn't counted mm-hmm. so if you look at even the structure of that and how that then is replicated throughout society for example one of the things that people often talk about is uh monitoring so if you don't declare yourself as either you know a certain community background Mm -hmm. people can then use a residual method to determine Mm -hmm. what they think may be perceived to be your your background i don't think that's right you know i don't think there's a place for that Mm. i think people should be you know counted as whatever they want to be counted as um and we are not there yet not by a long shot Mm -hmm. um and that's just all the, the stuff that we've spoken about in terms of you know people's people's views and obviously we would want a united community very much throughout the piece but we haven't even gotten to the other issues yet which foment some of that so poverty mm-hmm. you know deprivation um people not having been given the tools mm-hmm. to actually do what they want to do with their life mm-hmm. um and you know i'm seeing that happening today and this this is not 20 years ago this is not a time whenever people didn't have access to things even now the way the system is in terms of you know universal credit everything else mm-hmm. everything we've gone through there in terms of the the terrible issues there everything we've gone through in terms of poverty fuel poverty digital poverty um those are real things and they can't just be taken in isolation and you know we we talked about mental health at the start of this and if you're looking at your own personal life or someone's life 
you know, you want to have a place where you feel safe to live. You want to have a place where you are warm and have food. Maybe you have a chance of getting a, a job that you really want to work in a field. Maybe you have a chance to, to get a promotion in that job, whatever your aspirations may be. And not everybody has that ability to do that. And a lot of it is being reinforced by unfair policies. Mm -hmm. So that might sound a bit waffly, but that's the sort of thing that people genuinely are talking to me about. Mm -hmm. um, they're not having those other conversations. Um, they're wanting to have a feeling of personal agency in their life. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of people in Northern Ireland, they're not they're not anywhere near that. And to me, that that's a, a failure that we need to fix. Well, I'm determined to, um, I suppose, <coughs> just ask you one more question around the whole um, constitutional <laughs> question. You're determined. I I'm love determined. it. Um, one of the effects of Brexit, Sersa, has been the surge in the conversation, obviously, around Unity, as you even pointed out yourself a couple of minutes ago there. This gives the region a direct re-entry into the EU, as stated by the EU themselves. Do you think... Or have you heard from the doors you've been knocking recently that that would be an incentive for potential alliance voters or maybe not? I think at this point in time, because people are wanting, and I'll just I'll just be completely honest with you here, for a lot of people they've switched off from the Brexit and the protocol conversation a long time ago. Yeah. Um, for others, it's still live for, for various reasons, either because they disagree with it or because they're maybe feeling an impact of it mm -hmm. um, that, they, that they don't want. Um, but for the vast majority of people, they're very much like this is where we are at this point in time. Mm. Let's just try and get the protocol um, sorted out, try and ameliorate what we can with it, get it bedded in. You know, I think potentially there is the outcome of, for certain sectors anyway, um, an economic benefit. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to take time to, to figure out where exactly those are. Mm -hmm. Maybe for other sectors where there isn't an immediate um, economic advantage, mm -hmm. we need to figure out where that is as well mm -hmm. and try and see what we can do to help there or maybe redirect into another sector or another field or, or whatever. And the main thing about that is it means people will have employment, it means they'll have work, mm -hmm. um, it means businesses will be able to survive small businesses even will be able to survive. I mean, you and I were just talking to a, a small business owner there um, before we came in and did this. And if he's able to keep a business going and able to keep people employed, that can only be a good thing in my book. And that means that people then have a better chance of having a better life mm -hmm. and the life that they deserve. So I think that's certainly the vibe I'm getting mm -hmm. from, from the doors. They're not looking at that other part of the conversation that you've just said there. Um, and to be completely honest with you, my personal take on it would be if we're already in the single market for goods, mm -hmm. if you speak to business at this point in time, they will not tell you, well, the ones I'm speaking to anyway, will not tell you that the protocol is the number one issue for them. Is the protocol here to stay? Um, I think the protocol is here to stay because in lieu of anything else, um, what what is there? You know, I mean, people who have objections to the protocol um, haven't been able to elucidate what they think is the solution. Do you think there's more positives to the protocol than negatives? I think there are Not the that potential... anyone wanted the protocol, yeah. obviously. Yeah, um, well, like, I mean, this is exactly it. You know, the, the, the buyer's remorse piece that we spoke about, about the DEP having buyer's remorse in the Brexit that they really wanted. Um, and now it's left to the rest of us to sort out the mess. 
um, and they're not even happy with that. So, you know, everybody else is getting on with the job at hand and trying to make the best of a bad situation. But as you say, none of us want it. Um, but I think there is definitely the potential and already even businesses in my own constituency have said that they have found an economic edge to the mm-hmm. protocol. That's not that's not my political opinion. That's no. just a factual opinion that mm-hmm. they've stated. Um, but if, if you were to give a political opinion, certainly I would be saying I think there are certainly more positives to be found than negatives. Mm-hmm. And where there are negatives, we're saying we need to work it out and, and get it sorted. No one's sitting idly by and saying, yeah, this 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 will do. Um, and as I say, you know, this was not of our making, no, you know, of course not. Um, but obviously, you know, that's a, a bit of a, a trite response to people who are, you know, wanting things sorted. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we're trying to do our best by everybody and that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. OK, I promise you only um, one more question on the constitutional and then we'll move on to all our aspects. Um, I think many commentators politicians parties here accept that there will be a border poll at some point okay i'm not putting a date on it certainly not how do you think the alliance will approach that now you as a party okay will you take a position will you stand back and let supporters assess it and decide themselves or will you give them some direction so i don't think anything's ever inevitable oh no i don't yeah i don't think anything should ever be taken for granted no um, and obviously that's something that's been said for, for a long time and you know we, we are where we are. It's obviously a hypothetical um, question. Um, so in that hypothetical but it's in situation, the agreement. Well yeah, and I think that's an important distinction mm-hmm. to make. I think people certainly have to make an important distinction that if you're signing up to the Good Friday Agreement, that's in there. Mm-hmm. And people can't cherry pick the Good Friday Agreement. Um, we've already seen people try to do that. We've already seen people distort it. Um, and if you sign up to it, you sign up to it. Um, certainly, can things be fixed and improved? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's been over twenty years. Um, but to take it back to your 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 question, um, the the hypothetical situation would be that I would imagine um, it would likely look like a party council to decide. Do we campaign at all in the first instance? Um, and if a decision is made, no, well, then it's no. If a decision is made, yes, mm. well, then I would likely imagine that there will be a subsequent party council to that to decide what way will you campaign then. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that wouldn't be whipped or anything like that. That would just be, you know, a conscience view. Um, How would you vote? <laughs> How would I vote? Um well, do you know, I'm I'm going to be completely honest with you. Don't right? have me going to sit on the fence. I don't think it's a matter of sitting on the fence. I think for a lot of people, this just is simply not a live issue for them, and that's the God's honest truth. Um, and I mean, I'm I'm not going to sit here and tell you a lie. Um, you know that that is the God's honest truth. Um, I spend an awful lot of time in the day working on very very complex issues, um, and we know where things can go if complex issues are not fully thought out and thought through. Um, And I think personally speaking, um, I I couldn't even begin to imagine um, in that hypothetical situation what it would be because we're we're not at that juncture. Okay. One of the areas, Sarsha, that you focus on in your political career is mental health. Mm Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about how much of an issue that is here at the moment and 
are there enough resources to be made available in your opinion? The issue for me is that everyone loves to talk about mental health mm. and loves to say it's an important issue and you know it's out there for some people almost as like something to talk about and there's never any practical actions. So for me there are two parts to the mental health. So there's CAMS which is children and um, adolescent mental health services and then AM, AMHS, adult mental health services. Both do not receive adequate funding. Um, and then you have the wider issue of is health just the responsibility of the Department of Health? Of course it's not. To me, if health and mental health are to be tackled adequately, that needs to be a cross-cutting approach. Mm -hmm. It's not enough to just have like a siloed approach to say that, okay, this is Mrs. Mental Health, so we're going to deal with this primarily through DOH. That's not good enough to me. Um, I think if you look at across all departments that we have, they all have a role to play in terms of whether it be, you know, having green space, whether it be building more social housing so that people can actually get housed, um, whether it can be, you know, some of the work Naomi's done on DOJ um, around young people and whenever they interface with the criminal justice system and, you know, ways to ways to address that and ways to improve their lives. Mm -hmm. um, there comes a point, you know, where people keep falling in the river and you've got to ask why. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think we've done enough around the asking why um, and where that leads to and that leads to in my opinion everything I've just mentioned there so housing education um, interpersonal relationships people aren't getting enough support Northern Ireland itself has some of the worst rates of mental health within the UK um, and within I think Europe, with, and I was just going to say within Europe um, and our suicide rate is unfortunately right up there there's, there's obviously far too many people have lost their lives um, through suicide. Um, we also have high amounts of people living with PTSD, mm -hmm. CPSD, um, and a lot of people who are self-medicating um, through mm -hmm. drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And we need a jail diagnosis policy, which we do not have at present, um, which means that people, if they're trying to come away from drugs or substance or alcohol abuse, mm -hmm. um, they're not necessarily enabled to get that mental health support straight away. Yes, that's true. Um, and that's having a real damaging impact. Mm -hmm. um, I would also do a lot of work with families um, or friends of people who have other young people in care. Um, and there's a huge issue around young people who are maybe experiencing family breakdown mm -hmm. um, in the family unit. Um, they've maybe experienced uh, trauma. They've maybe experienced sexual abuse or rape. Mm -hmm. And they don't know where to go. They don't know where to turn. Um, and they're not getting the support that they need. For the children and young people that I have met and spoke with that have been living in care, they have basically turned 18 and that's been the end of it. Um, and for me, that is a complete dereliction of duty. We, we just can't continue on like that. And that's before we even get into the likes of the everyday where a lot of our family and friends that we would know are maybe living with depression and anxiety or anxiety disorders or PTSD or whatever it may be. I think, I, I think I'm just listening to you and I, I can see the passion coming from you and you can hear it in your voice. And I suppose just, <clears throat> just a reminder to me about the story that you relayed about your own mm -hmm. early years mm -hmm. and your father and whatnot. So quite clearly, this is something that you, at Saoirse Eastwood, is very passionate about. Definitely. That, that comes across like. Definitely. I mean, that's people probably think, oh, you, you dodge questions or you don't answer questions or whatever about certain so, things. Just, just but, my last one. You know, <clears throat> um, I, I think that's because that's not why I got into mm. I mean, there's a lot of people in this place get into politics for that exact reason, but I didn't, yeah, you yeah. know, and 
to be fair, I've never been asked that question on the doors. Maybe once, I tell a lie, maybe once. Um, and that was just before Christmas. Um, but in the 11 years of knocking doors, it has been about, do you know my such and such? They've had a problem with mm-hmm. their family or, yeah. you know, it's somebody that you know that you've seen them go through that trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, this is kind of where, you know, I absolutely <clears throat> love politics and I love, you know, the machinations of it and the ins and outs of it the and all the rest of it. The ability to make a positive impact. But it's that part of it that really attracts me to it, yeah. where you can make a difference in people's lives. And The Assembly appointed a mental health champion, Siobhan Neal. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that's to be welcomed. Mm-hmm. But like, there has to be more, doesn't there? Absolutely. And Siobhan is doing great work. Yes. I've met with Siobhan at least once. Um, in her capacity as the mental health champion um, but you know as Siobhan said you know it, it requires a bigger cross-cutting approach mm. it isn't just enough to leave it as a strategy sitting on the shelf in DOH mm-hmm. um, I think there needs to be a conversation around how we break out of that I mean even within the health service themselves they have work a work stream called no more silos and that's been about for quite a long time um, so that's looking at people whenever they come in and I was at uh, cancer focus uh, this day last week and they were saying that how they have very specialist um, psycho-oncologists who work with people who have had a cancer diagnosis mm-hmm. that's obviously extremely specialised um, and that's a charity doing that work mm-hmm. that's actually not even from the trust although the trust have a, a small role um, but that's a charity doing that work and whenever you look at the likes of you know children and adolescent mental health services there's a, a group here locally that I know that have started in Lisburn two years ago called Emerge, who do fantastic work, amazing work. Mm-hmm. And they struggle to get any money at all from any sort of public body or government body. And every penny, the vast majority of it, is from the local community here who go out and fundraise. And for me, they're actually saving lives. The woman that runs that could literally show you on any given day of the week the amount of people that she has saved from dying by suicide mm-hmm. or getting themselves into an even worse state she could rhyme it off any day of the week and the fact that they are not getting that appropriate funding to enable them to do that as a permanent thing to me is just absolutely shocking so my kind of frustration with it is why do we not spend the time talking on those issues as much as we do on others mm-hmm. i'm not saying there's not a place for that i'm, I'm not saying people can't have those conversations but for me as somebody who is representing everybody within the community, regardless of their view, mm-hmm. what what else can possibly be more important? <clears throat> for than, me, for me, there's nothing more important. You know, protecting yeah. life, saving life. You know, your health mm-hmm. is your wealth. Mm-hmm. Used to be a phrase yeah. back in the day. Um, and you know, God, that's true. I mean, it, it's so true. And I I just think the other part of the conversation that I think, to be completely honest with you, that's missing is the stigma around mm-hmm. mental health in Northern Ireland. Um, and which, which leads into bullying as well, online, in person. Absolutely. It, le- it leads into a whole host of other uh, linked conversations. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the poverty thing that we spoke about, yeah. the housing, mm-hmm. you know, one of the big issues that I deal with here in Lycan Valley is to do with housing, where in the last year there have been only 42 social houses built. And on any given day of the week, there's about three and a half thousand people on the waiting list. Say that again. In the last what? In the last year. There's been a So there was, there was an assembly question put in, not just in respect of Lycan Valley, but across all constituencies. Mm-hmm. So 
for Lagan Valley there had been only 42 social homes built and there's three and a half thousand people on the list wow and a vast majority of those people are young Mm -hmm. some of them I have worked with have been in care or you know have basically no other start from a family and life they're on their own and they need help they need the state to come in and make Mm -hmm. sure that they have a good safe place to be because I see young people because I was nearly there myself I Mm -hmm. see young people who can't get housed who go into maybe sleeping rough or going into places where they're sleeping just to try and get a roof above their head for the night and they're putting themselves in danger and vulnerable positions absolutely absolutely Mm -hmm. and that scares the life out of me yeah to 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 know and think that that's happening and for me if you're if you're in this to shout and get on and you know be in a place where you know you're you're constantly feeding out the same rhetoric mm-hmm. you're not in it for the right mm-hmm. reason mm-hmm. um and you know the thing about me is that not everybody will agree with me not everybody will think i get it right all the time yeah but the one thing i will always get right is that i'm putting people first mm-hmm. um and i'm in it for people mm-hmm. not for ideology yes um and i think if we had more people like that i just wonder where we might be mm-hmm. okay thank you for that Sorsha. um i'm very conscious that you have an appointment oh my god 20, i need to be at a canvas at two o'clock in 20 minutes time <laughs> um we have been in each other's company for two hours and we spent an hour of it waffling behind the scenes and that's my <laughs> fault so in your own time but take as much time as you need yeah Tell our listeners why they should cast their vote for the Alliance Party in April this year. But maybe more particularly, why you? Oh my goodness. Um, vote for Alliance in May because we have a real chance for change at this point in where we are for mm-hmm. our future. We have a real chance to break forward and solidify our position as a party that fights for everybody as a united community, regardless of your view, your background, your aspirations, whatever it may be. We will put health, education, jobs, climate, housing, all those issues first. Um, and we will make sure that everybody has the right and the space to be them. Um, we will push this place further with our progressive, positive politics. Um, and we will do it on everyone's behalf and for everyone. In Lagan Valley, Alliance has gone from strength to strength in the last few years. Um, I am running with my running mate, David Honeyford, um, and we have a real chance to return to Alliance MLAs here in 98 days or 97 days or whatever it may be. And we believe we have the message that more people will resonate with, which is a united community, progressive, positive politics for everyone that puts people in ideology first, that we do have a chance for real change um, and to demand better. But I think more importantly than that, we put in the work. You know, we're here all year round. We don't just knock doors at election time. We don't just push things through people's doors at election time. Um, we're here doing the graft constantly. And I think particularly in this constituency where so many people over the years lost faith with actually being able to change politics, our results in elections in Lagan Valley over the last number of years have shown that you can absolutely enact real change and that there isn't any such thing as a safe seat any longer. 
Um, and I think that is testament to the work that we put in and the message that we have. I'm not asking you to be arrogant here because I know you're anything but, but how confident are you, Sorsa, that you will be elected? I never take anything for granted. If you speak to anybody that knows me, no, they know no. I'm a real well, I warrior. Guess, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, what's the message you've been hearing already at this early stage on the doors? Um, do you know, it's a good message. Um, it's a positive message. It's given you hope. It's given us hope. Mm. Of course it is. But, you know, I absolutely never take anything for granted. I am somebody that even whenever I was sitting in the count in 2019 and people were telling me how well we were doing, I didn't believe them. Um, because I'm just one of those people that is, I'm hard on myself. Mm. Um, you know, I come from a business background and I was always very much have to demand more, have to do better, constantly have to improve yourself, mm-hmm. never take anything for granted. You know, something else could happen and, you know, blow it out of the water. You mm-hmm. always have to be prepared for, you know, all eventualities. Um, and I kind of have that real chip of never resting on any sort of laurels or, you know, any sort of election result see whenever the assembly dissolves on the 24th of march everyone's starting at zero mm-hmm. and good way of putting it you know that's the way i approach it mm-hmm. that's the way you've got to approach it yeah um because anything else as you say is you know kind of taken for granted um but yes the the indications are very much that you know things are still um looking good here um and <clears> just <throat> kind of quietly confident um but it's the work it's the work well, I know, <clears throat> pardon me, I don't um, live in your constituency, but certainly I haven't spent this past couple of hours with you. Um, if I had the ability to cast a vote here, certainly you'd be getting mine. So. Oh, um, <laughs> thank you. Who inspires you, Sorsa? My mummy. My mum, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, left school at 15, no qualifications, worked her way up within nursing, worked in Thompson House, nursing home in Lisburn. Um, and then because my uncle William um, kind of illegally filled in a job application for and forth that such a hard qualification she didn't have, um, she got a job then um, working in the education authority as it is now in the southern area as a music oh, teacher. Go. Worked two jobs. My mummy worked two jobs whenever me and my brother were away mm-hmm. to try and keep things going after we had to, to, to get away from dad. Mm-hmm. Um, extremely strong woman. Mm-hmm. Very, very dignified lady. Um been through so much in her life and just yeah she's just you know I think that she gave 42 years of her life in public service is a big thing for me um and I I really got that kind of message from her about public service and duty and trying to help others Mm -hmm. best piece of advice you've ever been given um I remember once whenever things were quite bad um at home whenever I was young and there used to be a priest here um, in Lisburn years ago called Father O'Neill. And he was like a visiting priest, I think. And it was a really horrible, messy situation where my dad had arrived and tried to sort of take us sort of thing. But we had to just, you know, behave as if everything was fine because people weren't really aware of the whole situation. And I just remember wanting to shout. And I think I may have shouted at one point and father O'Neill came over and he said you know what always goes on no matter what happens he says always keep your dignity he says always keep your dignity no matter what people throw at you no matter what they say always keep your dignity and do you know that was just in that moment in time but I think for me that's a message that you can transport to so many different scenarios 
Just writing that down. Yeah, always keep your dignity. It's very good. Okay, four more questions. <laughs> Water or alcohol? Oh, alcohol. No hesitation. Like it. <laughs> One item, Saoirse, that will always be in your fridge no matter what happens. Full fat milk and red sauce. Okay, very good. Best film? A Time to Kill. Best book? Oh, um, oh Jesus, I don't know. Um, I don't, I, I read political books. The Good Friday Agreement. <laughs> that's a real, oh dear. That's a real nerdy answer. Oh dear. Um, I, I just read political books, so, okay. you know, documentaries, biographies, Certainly. you know, all that sort of thing. Um, I'm just constantly reading. Okay. Okay. Last question, and one we ask all our guests. If you could invite three people to your fictional dinner party, either dead or alive, who would they be? And more importantly, why? Um, okay, so my first guest would be Mary Robinson. Okay. Um, first president of Ireland, first woman president of Ireland, sorry. Um, and I just remember her election campaign whenever I was really young, and I thought it was really vibrant and colourful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just loved that, vibrant mm-hmm. colourful. You know, a woman who was, you know, selling something positive. Um, and at that time, you didn't see many women in politics or taking up public space, Mm -hmm. um, particularly in Ireland. And, you know, for me, that was a big, that was a big moment. I just remember even as a young child thinking that was a big moment. So even whenever I saw her a few uh, months ago um, at COP Uh and she was there in her capacity as part of the elders Mm -hmm. um, and you could see she was just so invested in it and so genuine Mm -hmm. and, you know, I just really love that passion about her. The political nerd in me here now wants to ask you, what's your opinion on presidential voting rights for all Irish citizens? But oh because, dear. But I'm not going to because um, oh, time Jesus. is against us. I'll be getting killed here. Yeah, yeah. I've got literally 10 minutes. Who's your um, second guest? Um, Mo Molan. Oh, very good. Um, Because Mo was just such an amazing woman in a sea full of men in grey suits. Yeah. Um, and she had absolute courage, mm-hmm. you know, she had absolute courage and spades and just an amazing mind. And I think universally kind of accepted by all parties, you know. There, I mean, obviously I've never met her or never anything like that there, but yeah. from what I could see of her, she was very down to earth yeah. and very approachable uh-huh. and absolutely no BS with her whatsoever. Um, and I love that about her. wouldn't stand for any BS. No. <laughs> would just put them right back in their place but in a lovely way uh-huh. you know there was no aggression or anything with her um and yeah i just yeah complete awesome woman and who's your third and final guest uh beatrix potter oh okay so um no no, no men at this dinner party sir i noticed no <laughs> no not not today um yeah, yeah just like so... you know you won't be getting complaints about this <laughs> Well, I mean, this is this is just the people who came to mind. Now that you're now that you're mentioning it, um, so Beatrix Potter, because I am a nerd, as you've said, um, and I always find her 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 writings and the illustrations beautiful. Uh-huh. But I like that kind of natural science element to it. Uh-huh. I was never good at science, but. I just like the way she made that accessible to a different audience. Yeah. Um, and also it was cute as hell. So, you know, it was really cute and beautifully illustrated. And um, I used to do art as well. So 
um, I just really admired and appreciated that. And I think growing up on the farm, nature mm-hmm. and, you know, flora and fauna and mm-hmm. that kind of natural beauty was always very, you know, important to me mm-hmm. and drilled into me from an early age to name all the trees and plants and whatever. So Very good. Sir Facebook, it's been an absolute pleasure spending one hour, would you believe it, and 11 minutes talking to you. Um, we've an, done all right, we've packed it in, haven't we've we? packed it in, and there's actually five or six questions that I didn't get asking you because, um, but sometime maybe in the future. Listen, all I have to say is thank you for your time, first of all. Thank you for it's having me. Coming up with a very busy period for you, and on that note, too, all the best in the upcoming elections. Thank and the you. next time we speak, hopefully, it'll be as an MLA. Oh, God bless us. Touch right, touch right. <laughs> Folks, I hope you enjoyed listening to the chat today. If you did uh, agree with anything you heard, leave a comment underneath. And even if you didn't agree, we we'll, we'll also want to hear them as well. Until the next time, take care. Be good. Bye-bye.